All right, well, good morning. My name's Rick, and if I haven't met you yet, I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm so happy to be, uh, to be um, leading the service with, with, with you this morning. I want to send that, um, copy that to Luke. And uh, we are having our chili cook-off this afternoon. Did anybody bring chili? I'm excited to have chili. If you, yeah, we can get excited for chili. Nobody's excited for chili. All right, that's all right. I'm excited for chili. If you are visiting with us, we're really happy to have you. And if you didn't bring chili, that's okay. Your role is to eat chili. And you don't have to, you don't have, to have brought something to participate. We just want everybody to be clear on that. This isn't like if you, if you didn't bring, you can't eat. There is more than enough food to feed three churches this morning back there. So you make sure you get there. You have to sample everyone. There's going to be instructions that are given at the end of the service this morning. So you're just here. You're our guest. And thank you so much. No obligation to give ever. No obligation to bring food. Just come and participate. We're so glad to have you with us. And Port is a church. We have three different campuses. We meet in Mississauga, we meet in Milton, and there's even a version of us that meets in a whole different language in Spanish. So we're just, uh, the same message is being preached in all of our campuses this morning. We're really happy to have you. We are starting a brand new series called Breathe. And you can see the, the graphic over there. Did anybody go out hiking yesterday? Like you went out to, anybody go out hiking, walking? Oh my gosh, people. What a, anybody say, Rudy did. All right, somebody did. Somebody Somebody had to be outside. It was a beautiful day. I was inside at a basketball tournament. My daughter had a basketball tournament going on, but we escaped for one of the warm-ups, and we hiked for like that 30 minutes while they were getting ready because it was just so beautiful. It's like you go out and you sniff in that, that cold, crisp, clean fall air, and if you suffer from allergies, if you, like, you know how like this September and October you've been, your nose has been stuffed and you've got that ball of moisture with all the humidity that's lingered around? It's like you go out and you get to breathe beautiful cold fall air. That's what we're going to be focusing on, not literal air, but we're going to be looking at worship as our ability to take a breath, to come to our God that has made, uh, made it possible for us to, uh, to come to him and, and see him. And we're going to take in the breath of God. Over the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to do this um, this study about what it means to just breathe and connect with God in a way that maybe we never imagined possible before. When I say the word worship, though, what, what comes to your minds? When, when, when I say the word worship, what are the, what are the things that kind of dominate? Music, absolutely. Music comes to mind right away for a lot of people. What else comes to mind when I say worship? Is that? Praise, prayer, anything else? Yeah? Those are the typical things that come to mind. Some people say that they connect God with really well in silence. Some people say, you know, I just need to be out in nature. That's kind of where I connect really well. But we see churches week after week struggling to create the most optimal worship experience so people can attend and yet feel that they've connected and that they've worshipped. I watched online this week, there was one church last week that they were having a baptism service, like we were having baptism service, and they, they structured their entire morning around, they called it something in the water, and they sang Carrie Underwood's song, and they made it rain on stage, and they had like the background going, and, and it was this beautiful moment that was, that was very planned and very uh, produced moment, but it was a worshipful moment for a lot of people, and it was all dark and you just saw a light coming down and they're singing this song, that would have been a beautiful worship moment for some people. Others of you would have thought, 
I can't worship in that. That's a concert. That's Carrie Underwood. I can't be there. And some of you would rather go very, very traditional where it's like, no, I need candles and I need quiet. I need some kind of something that's, that's written for me to participate in. Most of us lean to one of the two extremes. Maybe we'll find ourselves somewhere out. But most times what we'll find is that's not actually uh, a, a thing that we can argue about to say, well, the Bible says we should worship this way. The Bible doesn't actually say we should worship in with lights or music, and the Bible doesn't say that we should worship with candles and, and, and written out prayers. It doesn't lean to either way. We, if we go right back to the Old Testament, what do we see? Well, the Bi- worship was sacrifices. Remember, we've been talking about that the last few weeks, that it was taking an animal onto an altar, killing, killing that animal. And, the, and then if we flip onto the New Testament, they didn't have to kill animals anymore because Jesus came in, in behalf of, on behalf of all the sacrifices that were being made. He made himself, the Lamb of God, the one sacrifice that replaced what was happening. So they often celebrated with communion and they would, um, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper and he was the Lamb of God who was going to take away our, our sins. And, and they didn't just have a wafer and a cup of Welch's grape juice. They had a whole meal and, and that's what, how they celebrated worship. That's what worship was. It wasn't singing. It wasn't candles. It wasn't one way or the other. Now, we do see instances in the New Testament of people singing in the Bible. In Mark 14 and 26, we read that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn together before they went out. So they sang. Uh, if you know the story of Paul and Paul journeys all along, he, Paul gets thrown in jail for how he was evangelizing and trying to teach about Christianity. And as he's in jail with his friend Silas, they're singing and they're praising. And all of a sudden, uh, they're, they're freed from, from that jail. And we see that the whole book of Psalms in the Old Testament is just written out, whether they're poems or whether they're songs. There is music that is definitely key throughout the Bible, but but the, the, book of, the book of Romans and the book of Corinthians and the book of Hebrews, those were all written in the first century churches about how they were to uh, engage in their corporate worship times. And singing was there, but it was never the focus and there were never guidelines for how they should sing. So, so the question as we came to this series on worship, we said, so why is, worship, why is singing and why is music so central to the modern church when we come to worship? Well, to find that answer, you have to actually track back to the Middle Ages. And it's really interesting. If, if there's any fans of history in the room, you'll know that the Middle Ages actually formed a lot of our, what, how we base thought and how we base the way things are. And, and this happened with churches as well, because the church was very closely linked with the state at that time. The church was very wealthy and the church had a lot of power. And they began to build all these big buildings. The, the church had never had a building before. There was one temple that was central in Jerusalem, but they, but they met in homes and they met in any kind of public place like this we meet in a school but then as the church got money and established and was connected with the state leaders they began to construct these gorgeous cathedrals that were that you can see if you've ever toured europe you've gone you've seen these beautiful old buildings that are that are a couple thousand years old at this point to some maybe they've been um, refigured and, and reconstructed they're a few hundred years old at the very least and we see giant, beautiful organs that were constructed right in them, not because that's the right way to do it, just because that's what they did. And then so for a thousand years, all throughout the Middle Ages, it became customary that you would sing hymns throughout church, and they would be done on the organ. And oftentimes they were sung in Latin, and people couldn't follow along, so they were sung to the people on behalf of the people. And again, just a custom, not necessarily the biblical form of worship. 
So we land here in 2016, and we want to ask ourselves, why do we feel that it's so important that we have songs every Sunday? Have you ever been to a church service where they didn't sing on a Sunday morning? You got one? couple? Yeah. There's, there's been a few times, maybe. When's the last time we didn't sing on a Sunday here at Portico? Anybody remember? <laughs> remember Mississauga? We didn't, oh, what? no, we sang, didn't we? Oh, that's, oh, you got me on a technicality. <laughs> I don't think we sang in our last pancake breakfast. I think, yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have music at our last pancake breakfast. But, but it's, it would be so odd for us to get together and not have music. But there's so many other ways to worship. So what we want to do over the course of this month is build a biblical foundation of what worship is and maybe stretch our minds a little bit. We want everybody to, to feel like, you know, this is maybe I'm, I'm opening myself up to thinking differently, experiencing worship differently. When we get to the end of the month, you're, you're not going to want to miss the last Sunday of, of the month because we are going to have a different kind of worship experience. Not, not necessarily, we, we, we have our form, right? You, you show up between 10.10 and 10.30 whenever you get here and there's music going on. There might be three songs, there might be four songs and somebody speaks and then we kind of kind of go our way. We might have a song at the end. We know our form. We're going to destroy the form, but we're going to build up to that over the next three weeks saying it doesn't have to be that way because that worship is not music and worship is not a form. That's preference, that's structure, but that's not necessarily how we were instructed to worship. So if you have your Bible, open up to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Verses 16 through 18 is going to be our key text this morning. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you'd like to read along, you can just lift up your hand. Scott will make sure you get a copy of that. Our notes are also on the Portico app. You can download the app either on Google Play or the iTunes store. And we're going to focus in on Exodus 3, and you might just want to hold it open there because we're going to be bouncing in and out of that text over the course of the morning. But here we are, Exodus 3, verse 16. I'm reading out of the New International Version. This is what it says. This is... Um, God speaking to Moses as they're in, as he's preparing to have them come out of Egypt. Now, there's a couple things here. We've got to read close attention to this because as we were studying this, there were some things that stood out to me. But he says, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you. I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. He's taken them to, um, to, to the, uh, where, where, where Israel is located now, in, in, roughly. This is the land that was promised to them. A land flowing with milk and honey, honey, just on the east side of the Mediterranean, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. The elders of Israel will listen to you, and then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, Catch this. Have you ever read this before? Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness. Moses wasn't asking for the people to go out of Egypt forever. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices. They wanted to worship the Lord our God. I think the first lesson out of this Bible, out of this Bible story is really clear. If there's any kids in the room, when you get stubborn, that often works against you. Moses was asking for three days, and they got all killed, and they were gone out of their total presence of Egypt. So don't get stubborn. Just let them go for three days, and maybe that'll work. No. They were asking for a three-day journey. One day, it would have taken one day. If you've ever been to that, that area, the, if you've ever been to where they would have been on that side of Egypt, going into the, the plains of Mount Sinai, it would have taken at least a day to walk onto the foothills and the plains where Mount Sinai is, worship, offer sacrifices, and then come back. 
They, they couldn't worship the way they wanted to in Egypt because Egyptian culture worshipped animals at that time. And um, they, so if they were going to kill an animal, that would have been going against their gods. It would have been extremely disrespectful. So they had to get out of the country to worship. So as they were stuck in Egypt, they felt like they couldn't connect with God. And so God wanted to take his people away from their homes, away from what was customary, away from the culture, everything that surrounded them, and say, I want to bring my soul focus, I want to bring your soul focus on me. And so the three things as we're building this basis of worship is, why do we worship? What is worship? Well, the first thing that it does is it resets my perspective of God. It helps me to focus who God is and who I am. And we remind ourselves when we participate in an act of worship, the nature of this relationship, that, that God is in charge and I'm not in charge. It, it's not me trying to find what feels best for me and how do I connect with God, and it changes it. Is there something that's more convenient? Is there something that feels better? And goes, no, this is about God having connection with his people. We've worked really, really hard at making our culture fit well for us, Right? Do you remember when stores used to close? Do you remember when they, they closed? Do you remember that? When, when it's like you, you, you wanted to go shopping, but it always closed at 6 p.m., and you had to, you had to do it during the day, and the, the things weren't open at night. And if you, wanted, if you wanted to buy something on Sunday, that was too bad because things closed on Sunday. They gave everybody a break. Stores closed. But now you can shop from anywhere you want. If, if it's more convenient for you to stop at Walmart and get groceries at 2.30 a.m. when you're on your way home Saturday night so you don't have to pick it up Sunday morning, you can do that. You can go wherever you want. And if, and if you don't want to stop at the store, you can order it online from your bed or, or they'll shop for you if you, want, if you don't want to have it delivered. Have you done that at the superstore yet where you can do that? Anybody, anybody tried that? You seen that? You can order and the people run around the store and they shop and you just walk in and you just pick it up. We've made all kinds of accommodations so that we can shop more easily because it's more convenient for us. Do you remember when you used to, when you used to walk into the, the coffee shop and you could order coffee or you could order, and the options for your coffee were, do you want milk or cream? And do you want one sugar or two sugar? Those were the options, right? And now, no, I want this half-calf, extra-hot, soy latte. Like, we have it our, uh, customized because we, we know that we can do it. When we have options, we want to create more and more options. And we've, we've even now made it so if you don't want to come to church, you can watch church online. That's why we, bro- we broadcast our 1010 service every every Sunday morning, because if you're traveling some other place in the world, or if you're not feeling well, we've made it convenient for us, but, but we like the control, right? And worship is about relinquishing control and saying, it's not about me, it's not about how I can customize this for myself, but it gives God proper place and proper perspective in my life. It resets that perspective. I may be in control of my coffee and my shopping, and even sometimes what I watch and when I watch and how I experience church, but I'm not in control of God. So we can, we can watch whatever we want, church, but if we truly want to worship, we have to give up a sense of control. And that's what God was doing in this moment. Everything that Israel was accustomed to, everything that, that, that there would have been comforting to them, that there would have been familiar to him, he says, I want to get you out of there, and I want to take you under the foothills of Sinai into the wilderness, and I'm going to show you again that I'm God and you're not, and I'm going to make this easier for you. Here's what it says in verse um, 13 and 14 in that same chapter, chapter 3. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers 
has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Because he's saying, we're going to go and confront Pharaoh and then we're going to try and walk out of Egypt and we're going to worship somewhere in the wilderness. So I've got to have some good reason why I'm calling them to leave everything and to make it inconvenient for themselves. So God says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us unless we know the history of that name, I am. I am was the name that God spoke to Abraham. Now, the people of Israel, the Jews in Egypt, would have known who Abraham was. I am was the one that came to a 90-year-old man and said, trust me, you're going to have a baby. I promise you've got descendants. Listen, 90-year-old, you're going to have a baby. Just, Just trust me. It's not, you wouldn't have done it this way, but I would do it this way, and I'm in control, and I'm going to show you that I'm the one that's in control. And he had a baby. And then when he had this baby who was supposed to start his lineage, I am was the one that said, take your teenage son now and carry him up on the mountain and then tie him up and burn him as a sacrifice. And Abraham would have gone, are you serious? You you didn't give me a son until I was close to my hundredth year. And now you're asking me to burn him as a sacrifice? And he said, trust me, just do it. And then he, he offered an animal after his son was already tied on that altar. God, God brought an animal there. He, he, he would have said, trust me. And he said to Abraham, you're going to leave the land where you are and you're going to go, you're going to set out on a journey with all your family, with all your, with all your animals, with everything that you have. I'm going to send you out into the wilderness and I'm going to show you where you're going once you start the journey. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just start walking and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. That's I am. <laughs> That's who they would have known. And so he was to go to the people and say, tell them that's the God that says you're going to walk out of Egypt, go into the wilderness, and offer sacrifices. And worshiping God, true worship, as we see it in this picture, means laying down the things that give us control and give us security and identity and putting God in his rightful place. And we see this all throughout the Bible. In this very story, in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, Moses had his staff but he had to lay it down when he met God. We see this with David. David was the king of Israel and he had just had this great military victory and he comes back to his country. He was gonna be honored. He was gonna be built up. They, would have, they loved what David had done and instead of him getting all the glory, here's what it says, uh, throw that verse up in 2 Samuel 6 and 14. David was wearing a linen ephod. I mean, he took off everything, all his kingly robes that would have brought him the honor and he was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He took off the thing that identified him and just said, I give that to God because I got to get, get rid of control. Do you have anything that you feel that identifies you? Like something that you cling on to as your identification? This is, this is, this is who I am. This is part, at least, of who I am. Maybe Heather's up here. She's got a guitar. That's probably part of who Heather is, is, my, is her guitar. I, I wear this silly little pendant around my neck. It's this Ironman pendant because I ran an Ironman race and I love that when I meet other people who who do triathlons I love them they may able to say oh you do that too and we have this conversation and and when I wake up in the morning and I'm going to go for a run and it's cold and dark and I grab on and I go yeah I, I remember I do this because I I like that feeling that's that's part of who I am we all have things that we cling to as this is who we are and we face the world every day with this lens this is who I am. This is how I come to God. God, this is me. World, this is me. And when we worship, 
we bring that identity and we lay it down and we remind ourselves, we, we, we get a better perspective and we go, God, actually, no, this isn't me. And I lay it down. And Moses lay down his staff and David lay down his kingly robes. And the people of Israel said, we got to get away from all, all what we've been accustomed to. And worship is resetting the proper perspective between who we are and who God is. You know, some of us even create negative identities of ourselves, who we are. There's a story in John chapter 5. You may want to go back and read it this week. But there's, there's a man who's crippled. And he's been laying beside this pool. Of, it's called the Pool of Bethsaida. And he's crippled, and he's been laying there every day of his life. And there's this, we don't know if it's truth or we don't know if it was fairy tale, but the story was that in this pool, an angel would come down and stir up the waters. And when the people saw the waters stirred up, the first person that was able to jump into the pool was going to be healed. And uh, a crippled guy is never going to be the first one into the pool. (laughs) It wasn't just crippled people. There would have been people with other sicknesses and other ailments and other things. And so... He was never going to make it there. And Jesus is passing by. One, one Saturday, they was on the Sabbath, and he saw this man, and he said, he said, I want you to take up that mat that you have, that thing that identified you to everybody else. They knew he was a cripple because he had to have that mat because he wasn't going to lay on the rock all day. That thing that he identified, take that up, and now come and follow me. And the thing that was his negative identifier was even something that he had to bring to God before he could properly worship. And Jesus called him then to go and honor him. So some of us, we have something that you go, you know, part of who it, the reason why I can't really worship God is because, well, I'm going through this horrible time of depression, and I really don't feel like coming to God. And God, I can't worship you right now because I'm depressed. God, I can't worship you right now because I don't feel like connecting with other people, and I'm going through this moment of loneliness. Or, or, or God, I've got this thing in my life, this addiction, and, and I, I can't worship you because that's really a, a bit of who I am right now, and you're not going to accept that. And worship, whether it's a positive identifier about ourselves, whether it's a negative identif- identifier about ourselves, it's saying, I just want to reset the perspective between who God is and who I am. And as we were preparing the message this morning, we really believed that there would be people that just needed to be reminded this morning that, that no, you're invited to reset yourself with God. And God's saying, I love you. I created you. I know who you are. I know what you identify, how you identify yourself. I know the things you carry, the good things and the bad things. And I'm inviting you just to come and be and have perfect connection. Be my son or daughter this morning. That's the first thing. It resets my perspective. The second thing is that it restores my relationship with God. The Old Testament, we're, we've been talking about this a bunch in the last few weeks. People only related to God through sacrifice, which is why we worship. Moses was coming to Pharaoh, and he was asking if they could meet with God. Exodus 3 and 18, the God of the Hebrews um, asked that the God of the Hebrews has met with us. They wanted to have that relationship, that closeness. And that only happened in the Old Testament when there was the animal sacrifice. And when we worship, we're sacrificing something of who we are for no other reason so that we can meet God. And over the, over the course of history, God would rearrange his life so that we could have relationship together and that we would meet together. He, he was the one that initiated everything. He was the one that, that sent his son Jesus down so that we could have the proper relationship. As we were doing some study, one of our teaching pastor, Joe, brought to our attention this interesting little book, and it's called uh, Jews, Jews and Shoes. 
Now, I'm not being racist here. Joe brought this up. Joe spent a lot of time in, in, in Israel. He said, there's, there's a prevalence in Jewish culture about the shoe. And if you look through the Bible, there's a number of times when if someone's going to offer relationship, if someone's going to restore relationship, you know what they do? They offer a shoe. And there's a story of Ruth and Naomi, and they had, both of their husbands had died, and they had come back to, to Naomi's homeland. They had come back to Israel, and they didn't know if they were going to be accepted, and they didn't know if they could have anyone that would, that would marry uh, Ruth because um, being divorced and already uh, in, that, in that culture, or she wasn't divorced, she was widowed, nobody would have s- seen her as someone that was worth marrying. And how, how is she going to survive in that culture where she can't work, she has no income, and nobody wants to bring her into the family. And if you read the story, when Boaz comes to bring her into the family as the kinsman redeemer, which is, there was one person in every family that was identified as somebody who could extend a shoe. He takes off his shoe and brings her into the family saying, I'm reaching out and I'm bringing you into the family. If you look all throughout the Bible, there's all these neat little stories about the shoes being offered. John the Baptist when Jesus came, do you remember how he described himself? When it, people were coming to see John the Baptist and they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's come down from God to restore relationship? And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Saying, I can't extend you the shoe. I can't even take off the shoe so that he can extend it to you. There's, there's a, a, Moses now even in um, when, when he comes to the burning bush and he meets God's presence in there. And God is calling Moses that he's going to go to Egypt and he's going to bring the people out of Egypt. You know what he says to him? Do you remember what he says about his shoes? Take off your shoes. Why? So Moses didn't have a shoe to offer to the Egyptian people. He wasn't coming as the redeemer. He wasn't coming as the one that was going to restore the relationship. It was God that was going to do it. Fascinating stuff when you understand the Bible from, an, from a Jewish perspective. And we look at this and we go, Who's restoring the relationship? We can't ever make the relationship with God right. He's the one that always initiates it. And the only way that we do it is through worship. Exodus 3, 7 and 8. Here's what God said in our, in our text. He said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So he's seen, he's heard, he's concerned. So what does he do? So I come down. I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. What a beautiful passage. I've seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, so I'm going to come down. And he says that the connection that we get, he restores that. It happens with worship. When we come and we sacrifice, whatever we are, however we identify ourselves, and we offer that to God as a sacrifice, he's seen, he's heard, and he comes down. And we get caught telling God how we would like to relate to him and how we want to experience our relationship with him. And we say, God, I feel more comfortable with you in silence. Or God, I don't feel like I want to do it in a group. Or even just this morning, I'm a little tired. I don't want to be participatory in worship. And it, it, it feels forced. I don't want to do this. And, but God said, no, worship is how we relate. That's how I relate to you. That restores the relationship resets my perspective. God's in control, not me. He restores my relationship. And number three, it reminds me of the promises of God. And Heather's, Heather's going to come back. And just offer us a chance to maybe participate in this a little bit. Have you, have you ever watched a hypnotist? 
I know that maybe we wouldn't have them come into church. That may be a little bit of a stretch for you. But the, a hypnotist has discovered the immense power that can be had when we hear something, when we're, something is suggested into our brains over and over. It's not witchcraft. It's convincing a person that he or she is eating an orange when actually they're eating an onion. And it's, it's unbelievable. They can sit there and like, that's a nice, beautiful, juicy orange. And they, oh, that's an onion. That's horrible. Like they should be spitting that out. They're gonna, when they get out of this, this trance, they're going to feel pretty disgusting. <laughs> or they, they, they can convince someone that every time they hear a certain phrase, they're like, you've been a good boy. They bark like a dog. And, it, and it, it's, it's funny to watch these people who are just having a suggestion that's been repeated in their mind over and over um, react to that. But it's important that we know this because the words that we speak and the messages that we hear influence the way that we think. We, we have to know that. The things we hear over and over are going to influence how we live our lives. So you tell me then, why is it so important to get the promises of God stuck in our brains? If we know that worship isn't necessarily music, why do we sing all the time when we come to church, when we don't have to, when it may not be what you would prefer to do, when it may not be a true sacrifice for you because you feel like, well, I can't really sing. It's not offering anything. I don't really like it. I don't feel like it. Why do we do it? It reminds me of God's promises. Look at verse 16. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the one who made all those promises, those crazy, outrageous promises that he fulfilled. He appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And Moses got the people together and he reminds them that this is the thing that has been talked about for centuries in their, in their family. If you go back to Genesis 15, Abraham had a dream about how for 400 years his descendants were going to be in Egypt and, and caught in slavery and they wouldn't be in a country of their own, but then that they would return out of Egypt and they would go to the place, the promised land that God had for them. They were taking hold of the promises that were spoken to them, that he was going to give them new land, he was going to give them freedom, and eventually out of that would come his son, the Messiah. We remind ourselves of the promises when we worship. So what are the promises God has for you? Well, we read them in the Bible, that's part of our worship, and we sing about them on Sundays or other times when we get together. And worship is more than music, 100% for sure, and that's what we're going to get into. This morning is really just an introductory part to the entire series, but it's resetting our minds, it's restoring our relationship, and it's remembering the promises. And all of those things are embodied in a time when somebody sings those promises, or somebody gives you a chance to reflect, or when, when we hear God's truth, when we get together with other people encouraging us, we do all those things. And so this morning, as we get to the end of this message, we thought it'd only be fitting to end with a time of just corporate worship together, singing about how God, how God's faithful. We're going to sing that, um, what are we singing? That we're here, that we're here for God, that he alone is holy, that only he is worthy. And David in the Bible, quite possibly the best example of a life that is lived as worship. And he had dedicated his life to serve God. And we see David honoring God in the midst of his own success. We see David honoring God in the midst of failure, 
and he wrote songs that people sang even in the king's courts. Many of our modern lyrics are direct quotes from David, the songs that we sing today. And here's one of the psalms that he wrote, Psalm 89 and 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And so I'd encourage us this morning that regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we feel our voice sounds, whatever it is, would, we, would you reset your, your, your focus this morning and say, God, thank you for reminding me that you're in control. Would you restore relationship? Offer a sacrifice and say, God, even if I know that I'm not perfect, even if the thing that identifies me should be something that seems to separate us, God, thank you that you extended a shoe, that, you, that you're the one that made the pathway right for relationship. And so this morning, I'm going to remind myself of the great promises that you have for me. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.